Codependent topics. I'm Brooke. And I'm Megan. And we are back, back, back for another episode. Yes, and guess what? It is almost October 1st. Oh my gosh. I really honestly can't believe it. I know everybody says that, but. I know. Where did this year go? Truly. It truly. Truly disappeared. This year, although I will say, feels like it's both 2000 and I can't believe it's 2023, but it also feels like it might be 2025. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure where we are in time. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> That's very true. I thought you were going to say, I'm not sure if it's like the year 2000 or the year 2023. And I was like, wow, that. That's concerning. And I'm glad <laughs> that you're telling me that. Yeah. Do you need to see someone or mm-hmm. do, you, do you seek help? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> no, I totally understand that. But. Yeah. I get excited around this time of year. Well, oh. especially October. Mm-hmm. I love spooky seasons. Oh spooky ooky. Love that. I know you are thrilled about scary I things. <laughs> I don't like it. And in fact, we just discussed this that I believe there should be another layer of like how they have like the child lock version of like Amazon Prime or the adult, I think you should also have to express interest or not interest in having scary titles presented to you because it often is accompanied by a scary picture. And that is unacceptable to me. (laughs) Are you often like just freaked out by just looking like scrolling through Netflix and seeing something like it? It's literally the title, like just the picture of the movie. Yes. Especially... Um, how it shows them up at the top really big. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the ones they're really trying to sell. Yeah. They're too big because I can't not see it. Like, I can maybe, yeah. if it's in the little tiny box, just kind of skip by it. But those, and then they start playing the trailer. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is not cool, guys. I can't sleep now. Dear Netflix, yeah. this is outrageous. Well, and you know, for me, it can be as simple as that movie Smile that you oh, told me about. Gosh. Um, you described the plot to me, thank you, upon my request. <laughs> because I am intre- it's the same thing as like I'm terrified of sharks, but I want to go diving with great whites. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Like uh I'm in awe. And horrified. And I At think the same time. and that's the same way that it's described. Uh, you know, in the Bible, you should be horrified, <laughs> but also in awe. It's the same feeling. I <laughs> wow, that's I'm, a wild like. It's connection. not wild. People talk about that in the philosophical spiritual world. Oh, okay, okay. How that is is carried. Awe carries fear. Yeah, and okay. So that is kind of what I mean. It's like they're. It's fascinating, and I'm interested, and I do want to know what happens in those movies a lot of the time. (laughs) So I need you, I need Derek, I need my people to tell me what happens, almost step by step, but just know me and leave out the stuff that's too scary, even for me to hear about. Yeah. Let alone seeing a picture of someone's creepy-ass smile on my television. Did you see any of that? Did you see the trailer for that one at all? I just saw the part where they're walking down the hospital Oh God! Yeah, thing, and they look creatures. in the look in the room, and the person smiling. Yeah, I will never forget that. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what I was going to say, is even just describing certain scary things to yeah. you, you, it sometimes latches on with you, right? Like you've said you have nightmares and stuff, right? Absolutely. And I think I've always had a really vivid imagination. Like in my mind, I can just paint a scene immediately. And yeah, for some reason, it's that same like OCD thing where like when people describe the characteristics of OCD of having intrusive thoughts that often are like terrifying yeah and that happens where any moment that I'm in I will go through a whole scenario as though I'm a director of a film of like how can I make this scenario the scariest possible (laughs) and and so I've really gotten better at not doing that day to day (laughs) but it doesn't help when I get all this feedback from these trailers (laughs) that pop up against my will I am not consenting to watching that (laughs) it kind of is wild though if you think about it because there's a lot of people who have aversions to those things Mm -hmm. for several reasons and like trauma exactly people who have experienced trauma it's just not cool I think yeah there's I mean because even if you think about it back in the day like if you were to browse a a blockbuster for a movie it's Mm -hmm. like yeah you might see something kind of scary on the cover but it's not like a whole immersive experience where you're like forced to watch the trailer now that you're you know well and even the ones that are really scary or really like um sexual oftentimes at the video stores they would have just the plain blockbuster oh true picture yeah and it'll just say the title I didn't even think about that until we actually talked about this, like mm-hmm. how different it is now versus, yeah. I mean, obviously we know how different things are with how we consume media, but like that alone mm-hmm. of just the fact that a lot of trailers are pushed on people that like... Yeah, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll write some companies for you. Thank I'll write you. Netflix. I'll write Hulu. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get this done for you. Okay. Don't worry. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I kind of forgot we were recording for a second. Me too. We were just chatting. Literally. So glad to have witnesses to that conversation who can also write Netflix for me. <laughs> I just, I do, well, just to wrap that up, I, I love spooky season for many reasons. I just, I don't know, like, I love Halloween in general. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, me and um, some of my friends, we like to go to those scary haunted mazes yeah. and stuff like it's it's a tradition for us every year like yeah. once a year i'm sorry um <laughs> losing several times a spooky season there we go yeah um yeah so i love doing that stuff and then i just love the decorations for halloween too mm-hmm. it's just so cute yeah and like, the cute ones i like <laughs> <laughs> you're like the cute little pumpkins little ghosts yeah but yeah i just like that and then you know christmas season too looking at all the lights but like I don't know, just a whole fun decoration aspect of things. Yeah. Remember when your dad hated the neighbor for the child skeleton? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we had a new person move into our street, which really, I feel like hasn't happened in years. Like, we just had some turnover of yeah. neighbors, and this one uh, neighbor decorates every holiday, like, really goes all out. So they yeah. start putting up stuff, and, you know, it's some pumpkins, and then it's some cobwebs, and then, like, every day we drive by, it's another huge-ass, <laughs> like, like big, like, hearse carriage <laughs> with, like, scary skeletons driving, and then all of a sudden, I hear my dad go, what the <laughs> 
And I look out, and it's that insanely tall, taller than the house skeleton that people have yeah. now. And it just goes on this rant about how, oh, I'm sure the kids are excited for that. Nobody wants to see a skeleton taller than your house. And we have to look at this all month. He was, like, genuinely upset about really it. Really upset about that skeleton. That skeleton's uh, crazy. A lot of people so, bought it. I know. Yeah. And I love how people are like, this was really expensive. I'm I'm going to get use out of it. So they put, like, a pilgrim hat on it for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> like a Santa hat for Christmas. It's there for Fourth of July. It <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, there all it's year. It's Uncle Sam. Yeah. <laughs> They just morph it for each holiday. This is now a permanent fixture on our lawn. We will not be taking this down at all. This is like a thousand bucks so kids enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. But very funny. Well, speaking of family members, we're going to talk about (laughs) narcissism today. (laughs) Speaking of my dad. Yeah, right. Imagine that would be wild if, like, every episode when we bring up a topic, it's like, so let's list all the people we know that has this <laughs> This <issue."> applies to. <laughs> yeah. We just completely isolate ourselves. Everyone in our life hates us <laughs> because of our podcast. We're just calling out everyone in our lives. <laughs> Their first and last name um, is... Address, yeah. list of fears, their schedule. <laughs> their Instagram handle. <laughs> well, Brooke, this is a topic that I think has really flooded social media recently. A lot of pop psychology about narcissism has come out recently. Yeah, some people understand it, some people don't at all. A lot don't. (laughs) Well, there is that um, expert, Dr. Romani. Have you seen her stuff? Yeah, I love her. I really like her. And she's on a lot of recent documentaries I've seen and has her own um, social media where she puts out videos, like, educational videos and stuff but then she's also on a lot of people's podcasts and you know people use her stuff in their clips yeah um so i really do like her i do feel like when people are using her words they if they don't fully understand it again can misuse it (laughs) like we were talking about in a couple other episodes of like it ends up like with good intention you end up misusing information and like doling out disinformation yeah yeah which we really are hoping to not do today (laughs) oh for sure we're not no so we did i mean a lot of the material that we're gonna talk about today is from cited sources Mm -hmm. you can find it in our the description of our podcast on the platforms but let's dive deep into what it is what is narcissism yeah let's just start there do we even know what that is right i mean because it's used a lot (laughs) (laughs) let's find out I just did the we, most noisiest thing right now. We need to record somewhere else. I'm like, we have to figure this out. We have to because there's just too much stuff to hit, like huge tools. I don't even know what that is that you just hit. Just for our listeners, um, I just hit my elbow on something uh, that we don't know what it is. I don't know. It, it looks like it can crush some it bones. It crushes stuff. It's a bone crusher. It's a bone crusher. That's what it is. We're in Sweeney Todd's Your warehouse. dad is decomposing bodies. <laughs> yeah. his Again, just... his Instagram handle is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyways. Well, so... Okay. So what is narcissism? <laughs> Let's get to it. Sidetracked. Um, so usually it involves a pattern of self-centered, arrogant thinking behavior. Uh, it's a lack of empathy and consideration for other people. It's an excessive need for admiration. You know, other people 
Um, they describe people with narcissistic personality disorder as cocky, manipulative, selfish, patronizing, and demanding. Mm. So, and just to uh, differentiate here, um, NPD is narcissistic personality disorder, which is what you can have. Mm-hmm. You have to um, be diagnosed by a professional. Correct. Or you could also just have narcissistic traits. Tendencies. Tendencies, right? right? Yeah. And those are different things. And I think that that really is how a lot of people um, dole out disinformation is that they're saying you are narcissistic when really that's more of the diagnostic part that like a psychologist, psychiatrist, maybe right. psychologists actually don't know who can diagnose that, yeah. um, has to fully diagnose someone with. Where And that is a, a long list of, because like even I've been in therapy sessions with uh, people or people have talked to me about their therapist saying you have narcissistic tendencies. And yeah, even the therapist starts there. You don't just start by saying you, you are. are narcissistic, you have this diagnosis. Right. Um, so I feel like, yeah, just that vernacular, like words matter, that vernacular, that For change sure. in semantics is important. And you could often read in the comments on social media or stuff of like people will just be so quick to be like, well, yeah, yeah my ex was a narcissist yes. and all these things. And it's like, well, well <laughs> they might have yeah, had tendencies, but sure. yeah. Let's yeah. say that. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of the gist of what you would say, you know, narcissist, narcissism is. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's go into some of the traits of a narcissist just to dive deep so we okay. understand so usually this involves an inflated sense of self-importance, mm. right? Like, I'm the man, I'm the woman, you know, um, those kind of things. Excessive need for admiration, mm-hmm. always needing people to dote on them, you know. Um, can't handle criticism, you know, has a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of a really big one with mm-hmm. narcissists. I, it's very telling mm-hmm. when you tell a narcissist something that mm-hmm. might be critical towards yeah. them because their reaction is exactly very know. defensive maybe crazy making behaviors throwing wrenches into the argument so that they don't even need to fully talk about the actual point just trying yeah. to you know dismiss defend and like turn the conversation around into something else yeah Throwing actual wren- wrenches, even. <laughs> Throwing real wrenches. Screwdrivers, <laughs> hammers. Um, they, shows, or they usually show a blatant disregard for the feelings of those around them. Mm. So I think that's a really big one, too, because a lot of people... I feel like this is kind of the, the main thing that people don't have that when people are like, oh, they're narcissistic, it's like, well, they obviously are showing empathy. Like, they're an empathetic, they're not a psychopath. Like, let's take it down a notch. You know what I mean? Um, This one, I think, is, it's hard to find someone who really shows a blatant disregard for people's feelings. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and yet you might think, like, you might come to that conclusion based off a few things that they've done here and there, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't, it's like a really obvious thing when someone truly is Mm -hmm. just completely, um, ignorant to people's feelings around them and i think too especially codependents will say that but really we need to think about back to have we expressed our feelings you know because oftentimes we don't and then we think they have a blatant disregard for my feelings like they don't even know how you feel you didn't even tell them exactly so that is a piece of it too i think that's actually a really good point yeah um refuse to take the blame for their actions so same probably thing as like can't handle criticism, doesn't, doesn't want to look at themselves. Deflects. Yeah. 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 That's a good word. Um, exhibit a grandiose version of the vision of themselves. 
So yeah, that self-importance, self-aggrandizing thing. That almost it's like it lacks a sense of reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, inflated sense of self-importance. So kind of what we had talked mm-hmm. about before. Actually, I think that's a duplicate. We've already, we've already said oh, that. Oh yeah, that was the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, demand loyalty even when they don't deserve it. Mm. So you, yeah. So you can't, don't stray from me. Yeah. Don't make your own decisions. Don't have a response to what I'm doing. Yeah. I can't take consequences. This is how it is, is what I want to happen. Right. And I'm sure this works well when they're with a codependent because they can just demand that loyalty and the codependent will loyally give Mm -hmm. and give and give Mm -hmm. at the expense of themselves. Right. Yep. Um, they have blurred boundaries and ignore the boundaries of others. Well, there we go. Also easy to do with a codependent because they're not even putting up boundaries. Exactly. Uh, believe they always know best for themselves and others, which is also pretty codependent, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Like if, well, maybe not for themselves, but they think they know what's best for others. And then we just say, oh yeah, yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, cause others to walk on eggshells around them to keep them from attacking them so yeah and that's what we're already doing as codependents you know is walking on eggshells around people just trying to make sure that everyone is you know happy at all times and not upset and trying to read someone in every moment do you want me to do this you want me to do that yeah um and so they almost that this is I think why people gravitate towards certain types of people because that person is wanting the other person to walk on eggshells and if they are in a relationship with someone who's already doing that that suits their needs perfectly you know yeah yeah and I think what happens is when you end up walking on eggshells around other people other people start walking around eggshells around you because Mm -hmm. then they're like well you know you're hypersensitive so I need to be that way with you too Mm -hmm. I think um, manipulate or very manipulative and will use other people's flaws against them. Hmm. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's really toxic behavior, right? Like if, if you find out something or if you know something sacred about someone and then use the worst things you know about them against them. Yeah. Um, it's pretty manipulative. <laughs> yeah. That's it's terrible. Awful. But I think also plays into the codependent cause we're all always, thinking it's our fault there's something wrong with us so then when that happens we think well of course exactly this was coming i deserve it whatever yeah treat others like they can do anything they want with Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. and a codependent will say you can (laughs) yeah go ahead do Mm -hmm. what you want with me right so now that we've discussed some of the traits what's really interesting is with codependents and narcissists they actually go super well together And the metaphor that we're going to discuss to kind of illustrate this is a dancing metaphor, like the codependent narcissist dance, because uh, that's essentially what we're doing is there's a follower and there's a leader, just like, you know, in regular dance. Uh, And that's really what the codependent narcissist dance is about. So let's go into what that looks like. Um, They make perfect dance partners because... The giving and sacrificial and passive nature of the codependent person matches up perfectly with the entitled, demanding, and self-centered traits of the individual who is a narcissist, right? Here we go. 
So like human magnets, codependents and narcissists continue their rocky and seemingly unstable relationship because of their opposite dance roles, or I guess you can say magnetic roles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and then the codependent dance role, the it says like the dancing skills of someone who's codependent are distinctly connected to the person's, it's called reflexive dysfunctional agility. So the ability to be attuned to the cues and the gestures and, you know, the, every movement of the narcissistic partner. And that's exactly what codependents are perfect at. Mm-hmm. And in almost every facet of their life, the individuals who are codependent pride themselves on knowing what people want, what people need, almost before they do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the codependent person is adept at anticipating his or her narcissistic partner's moves while still experiencing the dance as positive because they think they're amazing for being able to do that. Yeah. You know, like that's a good thing. Isn't that interesting? Like it almost fulfills a perfect need for the codependent because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'm, I'm always wanted and needed by this person. Mm-hmm. But then the other person's totally taking advantage, yep. totally making it all about themselves. Yep. And the codependent doesn't have to focus on them, uh, on themselves, because mm-hmm. they can just get sucked into the narcissism. Exactly. Which is what they ultimately want, because mm-hmm. they want to be relationship addicted. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And the codependent dancer, the like the things that you'll notice in the codependent dancer are that they give more than their partner gives to them. They confuse caretaking and sacrifice with loyalty and love. So they think that what they're doing, even though they're being that person's mom and going above and beyond and anticipating every need, they think this is just love. Yeah. Twisted. They yearn to be loved. However, because of their choice of the narcissistic partner, their dream will never be realized. So it's like this vicious cycle of like, oh, it's still not happening. I guess I need to sacrifice more. I guess I need to caretake more. I guess I need to, quote unquote, love them more in order to get that. And then it never happens. So then they do it more and then it doesn't happen. Then they do it more. So much of being a codependent is just cycles that Mm -hmm. drive you insane. Really? (laughs) I think it's meant to make you go absolutely nuts. (laughs) And we are. We are nuts. We are. Uh, But then you end up feeling unappreciated and used because you are doing 150% of the work, more work than someone really should. I don't like using that term, but, you know, it's it's more than what healthy love calls for. And then you're never acknowledged for it and you don't get any reward for it. So then you feel used yes and then that puts you back into getting stuck into that pattern of giving and sacrificing without Mm -hmm. the possibility Mm -hmm. of ever receiving the same from your partner Mm -hmm. so right back to that cycle Mm -hmm. that we talked about right and like this whole time you're pretending to enjoy the dance but really you're harboring feelings of anger you're bitter you feel sad for Mm -hmm. you know for the outcome of all of this and you're convinced that they'll never find another partner who will love them for who they are Mm -hmm. you know yeah. And then, and so I'm doing, I'm the only one for you. And then oppositely, you'll, you're convinced that you'll never find someone who'll love you for her, who you are, as opposed to what you can do for them. Right, right. Right. Because that's what you're getting feedback for. I need to do all these things or you blow up. Right. So essentially, if you think about it, codependents always in relationships are usually dissatisfied because they're giving and giving and giving without checking their need of yeah. receiving. But then they don't that... realize that that's the origin of the problem. Right. They think right. they're doing everything right and somehow it's still not working. Yeah. So then it fulfills their self-fulfilling prophecy of belief that they're not good enough and won't be loved. Right. Can't be loved. 
Right. But then you pair that already, those belief systems, then you pair that with a narcissist who's willing to just take and take and take mm-hmm. and take and not have any yeah. regard for your emotions or feelings in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a lethal combination, don't you think? And actually, they, the reason that a lot of this research says that codependents choose narcissists is that they're sabotaging themselves by choosing a partner who they are initially attracted to but ultimately will resent. Hmm. It's crazy. It's so, like, if you actually think about that, that is so crazy how we self-sabotage mm. in those ways. We choose partners that are... How are we able to do that in five seconds? How are our brains <laughs> right? able to do that? I know. If, that's kind of fascinating, right? It's that's so weird. really bizarre. All right. So let's talk about the narcissistic role in this. What is their dance role in this? Um, so conversely, dancers who are narcissistic are drawn to codependent partners because they are allowed to feel dominant, secure, and in control in an activity that brings them so much attention, praise, and appreciation. So basically they get all that they've ever wanted out of this person. And they habitually choose or fall in love with codependent dance partners because they are given open and tacit permission to be the center of focus. So they get to lead the dance and ultimately determine when, where, and how the dance will proceed. So in other words, the narcissist's grandiosity, entitlement, and need to be in control are not only allowed by his or her codependent partner, but also paradoxically make the partner feel safe and secure in the dance. Mm -mm. So terrible combination, Mm. right? It really is. I mean, and I just both, like we said in the previous talk about um, takers and givers of in a codependent um, relationship, there's not one that's worse than the other because we're both playing our part to make this stance happen. For sure. You know? Thanks, too. But it just feels... Dissatisfying on both ends, really. I mean, yeah, the narcissist is going to temporarily get what they want, but then Mm -hmm. the day it's not satisfying either partners in this situation, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the narcissist dancer, just some of the traits, someone who, what that even looks like. Mm -hmm. So um, usually they seek someone who lets them lead the dance while making them feel powerful, competent, and appreciated. Codependents are so good at that, making the other person feel amazing and perfect and... Yeah. Yeah. I know this very well because I'm super good at doing that for other people, Mm -hmm. terrible at doing it for myself. It's very irritating. Yeah. (laughs) It really is. Um, Narcissist dancers are able to maintain the direction of the dance because they always find partners who lack self-worth, confidence, and who have low self-esteem. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Um, So talking about me... um, (laughs) This article is written about me. It says right here, Brooke had... No, <laughs> um, they usually, they're usually seeking a well-matched companion that they are able to control both the dancer and the dance. So yeah, mm-hmm. kind of the same points that we're making, but essentially they just love that control, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they love the fact that they can control this person and the other person doesn't even see it under the guise of control. They see it as, I'm giving them everything mm-hmm. they wanted, they yep. ever wanted. Yep. Um, so a lot of the traits of a narcissist, self-centered, arrogant, lacks empathy for their partner. Yeah. And I do think like I've, I I do believe in relationships where I've been with a partner who exhibits some of these characteristics in different relationships, family, friends, love. It's not always one or the other, but when that's the case, they're never like when you're thinking about it and you're like, oh, you end up realizing 
that this yeah. is the dance that you're in. And you think, oh, I am being controlled and I am trying to control them by trying to meet all their needs so that they love me, you know, I, and you realize both sides of it. Yeah. There's never a perfect, um, like, there's never a perfect bad guy. There's no, you can't fully blame one person. And when yeah. you're, when I'm, was listening to you describe that last bit of like list of characteristics, I was thinking, you know, most of the people that I've had this experience with, sometimes they are like that and uh-huh. sometimes they are not. Correct. You know, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that this, yeah. this dance isn't happening. It's not, you know, because I usually would try to talk myself out of it. Like, no, but look, they do this and this and this, uh-huh. which are good things and show empathy and show lack of self-centeredness or whatever. Right. Um, and so I would kind of talk myself out of it because, again, my codependent mind is like, no, you're crazy. You know, I see. you're the problem. So it's you're not saying that. You're saying the dance can still exist mm-hmm. even if it's not, they're a narcissist. Yes, but they, they're not like yeah. that 100% of the time. Okay, right. it doesn't mean this isn't happening. Right, right. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. There can still be the toxic dynamic yes. uh, going on, but yet still they're not a fully a narcissist all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, that the dynamic right. is a narcissistic dynamic almost, right? Right, exactly. And I yeah. think too, that's why it's so hard to talk about something like this because you're not, even if you were to bring it up, somebody of course will probably, well, especially someone who has narcissistic tendencies who doesn't want to hear criticism, doesn't okay. want to look at themselves. Um, but you know, it's hard to hear something as harsh as this, <laughs> you know, um, and still hear the other side of it that I don't think you're fully like that. I don't think you're always like that. I'm just saying in yeah. these ways it's coming out that way. Like that just, that conversation is not, it doesn't go well unless someone has had a revelation. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I was just going to say that the one, I think there's like, I think I read this somewhere, like there actually is evidence to prove this, that it's one of the hardest things to mm-hmm. tell a narcissist mm-hmm. or to, for a narcissist to come to the conclusion that they are a narcissist yeah well that's why a lot of therapists will say they don't even take on clients who have narcissistic yeah. personality disorder because inherently within that is too big of a barrier because they won't look at themselves and that's right. what you need to change you yeah. know yeah that's what's so fascinating is about about all the mental health disorders that we discuss i mean one, this is one of the hardest ones to not only diagnose but also one of the hardest ones to um help or mm-hmm. like get treatment for because they're not ever going to be self-reflective to the point where they can accept it. And I actually was talking to somebody that I knew, um, but didn't see often. And he was saying, um, that he realized he had an epiphany. He realized that he was definitely at least behaving in narcissistic ways Mm. and was turning over a new leaf. And with all the things that he described previously that he was blind to that his, partner who had stuck by him for years and years had been trying to talk to him about um he just had an epiphany and he moved towards it you know and he was like our relationship is so much better I'm so much more humble I realize all these things that I really was doing like I was it was easily deflected because a lot of it is about internal motive which you can't see so a lot of people will just deny and he was admitting it now and I almost it brought tears to my eyes I was like this is amazing you know that's incredible so it's not I've, I've seen it. It's not impossible, but it just is really hard to come back from. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, actually, we're going to dive more deep into this when we talk about what happens as a child or in your mm. um, childhood to maybe become a narcissist. Yeah. And there's things that happen that can definitely develop someone into a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And, but the fact that he came to those realizations on his own, I mean, that's incredible. Amazing, right? Yeah. And not so common. Cool. No, <laughs> not at all. So, okay, let's go into the next section here where we talk about um, what do victims of narcissistic abuse usually experience? Okay. So, um, usually they're always waiting for the next shoe to drop. Mm. So they're yeah. always in anticipation, probably a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. just wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. If you're walking on eggshells, it's not your rodeo. Someone else is controlling everything. You're just waiting for someone to blow up or something that you've done or something the world has done to upset them that yeah. you need to fix. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, they can experience flashbacks, mm-hmm. nightmares, um, reliving the trauma that the partner caused, um, easily mm-hmm. startled. Yeah. You know, which is probably sad. They're, they're on edge yeah. because I'm sure a narcissistic partner is definitely does things to just all of a sudden, all of a sudden. Yeah. Very abrupt. Right. Um, depersonalization feeling detached from one's emotions or body i feel like this is huge for codependence Hmm. because we often are detached from our body because we're so we're fighting our feelings so much it's true you know what i mean we're like shoving them down we're like i'm not gonna think about it i'm not gonna feel it yep and then you end up having and well i mean speak from personal experience you end up being like disassociated from yeah your self yeah you, you're like removed and that's what makes it hard to identify our feelings at the end of the day because we've been detaching and we're really yes, good at it exactly you know so um avoiding situations with enormous crowds mm-hmm. so that's usually indicative of anyone with any trauma really mm-hmm. i mean that's a, kind of a common one especially i think a lot of it is because you can't control a lot in a crowd and there are so many um things that can happen in a crowd because there are so many people who are behaving in a way you can't expect or control yeah you know so there's you feel startled easily you don't know what one person is going to go okay times a hundred yeah you know yeah absolutely and I know a lot of people with um that issue with being in enormous crowds actually yeah um so Mm -hmm. uh avoid intimate relationships so yeah after being with the narcissist and all the trauma that that ensues you probably are reluctant to get back into an intimate relationship with someone because you're Mm -hmm. worried they're going to weaponize things Mm -hmm. against you which is what the narcissist probably did to them right um exhibits a lack of emotional regulation that's a huge one yeah and connects to the disassociation because if you're never feeling your feelings you're never going to know how to regulate them they're always going to feel like a wave that you can't control because you have never tried. Mm, that's a good point, actually. Good point, Megan. Look Thank at you. you. so much. <laughs> <laughs> Has an inaccurate view of the narcissist. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that's the codependent for sure. Like, they have an inaccurate view from the start. They mm-hmm. think that they're in, with this awesome partner that they can give, give, give to. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's very... Um, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're like, no, this person did this because he loves me. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Has an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame as well. So well, we know how that feels. Codependence 101 right there is yep, guilt and shame. Exactly. 
Oh, yeah, this is what you were talking about. So children of narcissistic abuse and what they often experience. Yeah. So this is a little different, actually. This is what children experience at the hand of a narcissist, but it's still important. Parent, caregiver, somebody that they're constantly in contact with or maybe being reared by, so their formative years are shaped by this type of relationship. For sure. So it's still important to, to note and talk about. So children of narcissistic abuse often experience not feeling seen or heard. Mm-hmm. So I feel all the freaking time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of this is, it stems from not letting people have their own feelings, have their own thoughts, have their own opinions, yes. you know, because they don't mesh with or match the narcissist who is in control. So then they learn to just shut it down. Yeah. And okay, I won't even say it. Exactly. It's terrible. The child's feeling and reality are not being acknowledged. Mm-hmm. They're treated as an accessory to the narcissist. Right. You're an extension of me and my life and my reality. Yes. You can't be your own person. That is such a huge issue with parents not realizing that their kid is, like, not their arm or their leg. Like, they're a totally separate person. They're not attached to your body. Right. Yeah. Um, Feel more valued for, or they they Mm -hmm. feel more valued for what they do for the narcissist rather than as a person and who they are. So I can't, and that stems back to what we were talking about earlier. They end up in a narcissistic codependent relationship. They think, I won't be loved for me. I'll be loved for what I do for you. Yeah. Which is terrible because then they, that's their view on love forever. When they learn that as a child and they become adults who like learn to just give to people Mm -hmm. thinking that's what love is, you know? Um... Uh, as a child grows up, they're not able to identify or trust their own feelings and has crippling doubt. Mm-hmm. That's huge for me, I feel like. Yes, for me too. Like we talked about before, I don't know what I like. I don't know what I think about something. You know, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, oh, trust your gut. What does that mean? I have been <laughs> denying it for years and years and years. I had to try to rebuild that connection with it. Yeah. You know? Well, my gut doesn't like dairy and a lot of things. So <laughs> yeah. I had, and I don't, I don't believe it when it says that because I eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and it's delicious. So. Um, the child is taught to keep secrets to protect the narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. To like, oh, something embarrassing happened. Don't tell XXX. Don't talk about it. Don't tell mom or dad that I hit the car today and Mm -hmm. got it. Or stuff like that too, you know. Yeah. Um, They are not helped to develop their sense of self, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The child doesn't learn how to trust others. They feel used and manipulated. Mm -hmm. Child learns how to set or doesn't learn how to set and manage Mm -hmm. boundaries. Exactly. There we go. That's the biggest thing for codependence a lot of the origin of all the things we're saying is like the root of it is that there are no boundaries exactly actually all of this is a lot indicative of children who are codependent as well like children who who don't just grow up with a narcissistic parent but also grow up with a codependent parent right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um grows up to be vulnerable to codependent Mm -hmm. relationships right so Now they've learned to always that making someone happy means catering to their yep. every, like, want and need. And, that's... and not having needs or feelings themselves. Exactly. So who, who do they gravitate to when they grow up and want to date people? People who want them to be like that. Exactly. Yep. All right. So let's transition in ways to heal and cope. Like What's we always the like action plan? Exactly. What are we going <laughs> to do about this? <laughs> The way that you like, it, it kind of took me off guard because you looked right at me and you're like. I leaned in and I looked you in the eyes and I said, what's the action plan? It's just, it was too direct. It was too I'm direct sorry. for me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so what you can do is you can educate yourself on narcissistic personality disorder. So understanding NPD can help you depersonalize any insult, insult, criticism, and otherwise hurtful actions. Mm -hmm. This is really big because I feel like it helps you zoom out. For sure. You're like, this isn't about me. This is a you thing. For sure. You know? Yeah. And it goes back to that cardinal rule of not taking things personally. Yes. In life, in general. mm, Right? Codependence too. Exactly. Um, Don't idealize your partner. It's important not to idealize the other person, but rather see them as for who they really are, including the not so charming moments. Mm. So this means you might want to look at how they treat other people, how Mm -hmm. they talk about previous relationships, how they behave with you when you're upset. Mm -hmm. That's big. Yeah. That's a really big one. And all of those are big. I mean, this is all the things you need to pay attention to when dating someone. Well, because oftentimes, even in dating and friendships, if it's your parent, you can have this kind of put on a pedestal perspective of them, which oftentimes codependents do because when they're in order to like what our brain does in order to keep our belief that I need to do everything for you or you won't love me and you're amazing and I'm terrible. If I need to keep those beliefs intact, then I need to ignore all of the bad things that you do or the moments that are bad between us because I can't, there's no conflict I can't have feelings. I can't comment on it. So I need, my brain needs to shut down and ignore those things. Right. Which is not healthy at all. We Mm -hmm. we of course need to acknowledge every bits and piece of every people. Um, That was a weird way of saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Bits and pieces of people. (laughs) You know, I can have a very clear and coherent conversation with you, but then as soon as we turn on the recording equipment, I'm like, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, Like... Turn into an actual oh child. <laughs> the next merch is bits and pieces of <laughs> our new Halloween merch. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, ironically, the next point is clearly communicate. <laughs> clearly communicate how people's actions affect you. Yes. So when someone lives with a narcissistic personality disorder. Any criticisms, slights against them can rub them the wrong way. So be prepared for a strong reaction or defensiveness when you talk to about, talk to them about it. So I have a really specific relationship moments that are like this where when I say something to the person that um, they, they may have had a part in the <laughs> situation that was not so great. Yeah. Um, you know, immediately it's a lot of, oh, you, oh, like this doesn't happen to you. Oh, you did this. Oh, you're like that and that and that. Oh, please. Blah, 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 blah. And it is completely useless (laughs) (laughs) to say those things to them. So in my relationship with my counselor, oftentimes she'll say, instead of this, just what's called gray walling. So Mm -hmm. like clearly communicate when you need to say just the statement without, you know, no eye rolling, no try to have less feeling behind it. You're just saying the thing. Uh And then when they respond with this really big defensive response, and I say when, because it will happen. Yeah. um, (laughs) You kind of gray wall them. You don't give them much back. Because that's what they're feeding off of. They want you also to be upset and they want to spiral this into another fight, another conversation. So we don't actually have to talk about the thing you just said. Right. Because they know they're going to be SOL, you know. So how do you do that? How do you just sit there and not immediately fume and Mm. just spit fire out of your mouth when someone 
like I can't do it. I, know. I can't. Well, it's taken years. It's taken years, <laughs> and I don't ever. I mean, I'm still working on it. Yeah. But literally, it's taken years even to get to this point. Yeah. To where I sometimes can do it. Oh my gosh, it is the hardest thing in the world for me to I not know. get triggered and then oh, yeah. show that I'm triggered in the moment. It's one Absolutely. thing to like be triggered and just keep your cool, your wits about you. But I think a lot of the first two educate myself and don't idealize the person. Yeah. When I've spent more time doing that, you end up being better at this part because mm. I'm way less, I'm not taking it personally. I I'm see. way more like almost feel bad. Yeah. You know, that this is happening, you know, and yeah. I, it's more just like, well, I don't want to be shut off. Like it's a, almost a lesson to me. I'm like, I really want to be humble and able to see my faults right. and you know, I'm just more detached, I guess, from that's what I was going to say. The detached aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's the only way to really get over the hump of someone acting that way Mm -hmm. because then you'll just always take it personal if you are attached. Exactly. Whereas if you're detached, it's just like, wow, okay, Okay. that person's acting out. It has nothing to do with me. And it's not, you know, detachment sometimes sounds bad where you're like, you care less or something, but it actually makes me, this is what. People have said to me what I've read, I didn't quite believe it or understand it, but has been true that I actually find more compassion in the detachment. Whereas yeah. if I'm not detached, I'm more angry. Oh, for sure. You know. For sure. You want to be detached for both people's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the next one is set clear boundaries. Okay, well, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be doing that. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. And then, oh, well, this is what we just talked about. Don't internalize hurtful comments. So it's crucial to internalize the fact that their actions aren't a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. They're manifestations of their stuff. Correct. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Also, develop a support network. Yeah. So cultivate new friendships Mm -hmm. and maintain the existing bonds to help you through some of your relationship stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, narcissists will try and isolate you. That's one of the things, part of their abuse so you have to be aware of that. If you are aware that you're with someone mm-hmm. who has those tendencies or is maybe diagnosed with, mm-hmm. you know, the personality disorder, be aware of the fact that they're going to probably try and isolate you mm-hmm. and you need to just remain connected to your people. And sometimes it doesn't look really dramatic. Like they're trying to yeah. get you to completely stop talking to somebody. But in my experience, what has happened is if there's a whiff that that person is saying something that's undermining them or disagrees with them in a way that undermines them, then they'll say bad stuff about them. Like they start to kind of undermine that person slowly so that you start thinking badly of them. So that you stop hanging out with them. Yeah. Super manipulative. Very. And you have to be careful because like you said, it's not going to be an outwardly, no, you can't hang out with them anymore. It's going to be super sneaky like that. Exactly. And then prepare ahead of time. So if you choose to leave or or maybe not be in relationship with them anymore or change your relationship or maybe leave the in the moment you mm-hmm. know um remember there are reasons why you're making that decision prepare ahead of time have a list of why you're doing this what's actually going on because you will start in your mind to tell like i said earlier tell yourself you're crazy right yeah, yeah. and that person is never it's not going to admit it it's not going to go well okay well, you know <laughs> exactly um so beforehand lay out those reasons for yourself not to prove it to them or defend yourself but so you can calm down and actually fall through with those boundaries it's for you it's for you to calm down and to assess the situation and to have a clear reason and list for why this isn't working anymore and you can just move on with peace Exactly. And just know you're probably not going to get the closure you want when ending it's probably going to be extremely toxic on the other Mm -hmm. end from this person but 
just stick to mm-hmm. your list mm-hmm. and remind yourself why yeah. you're leaving. And right. it, it'll feel uncomfortable. That's not a sign that it's wrong. You're doing something wrong. Yeah. Because, and a lot of the time my counselors and everybody, every therapist I've ever seen has said closure is not a real thing. <laughs> like, I know. don't <sighs> expect it. That's not a I goal. I hate hearing that. Yeah. I, as a cancer and as a as all my zodiac signs on my, my birth chart hates that because we are yeah. we need closure. Yeah. We, I need closure. Oh gosh. It feels yeah. horrible. I know. But it ends up not feeling horrible at yeah. later. You know what I mean? It does right away. Yeah. But but don't fight it. I would say more don't focus on I don't have closure, focus on because what you resist persists, exactly. right? So you'll keep feeling that. Yeah. Focus on the detachment, focus on your list of reasons. And I will say that's kind of an old thing for me. I don't do that as much anymore as I'm older. When I was younger, I was like devastated Mm -hmm. if something ended and I didn't get the closure I wanted. But as an adult, I'm more like, "Mm, not needed. (sighs) We got to just move on. Yeah. Time's going to move on. I have to do. Yeah. And speaking of moving on, I think we have to move on out out of here, out of this episode. Let's move on. Let's move on, people. I know you're devastated because you want to listen to us more, but it's okay. Go back to the other episodes. I know. You know, what's great is we have an episode for you every Tuesday, so you never have to miss us. And if you have a story for us, a question, advice, if you need advice, email us at doyoulikeuspod at gmail.com. And then we just have one question for you. Do Do you you like like us? us? Bye. Bye.